0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: You know, it was a very exciting offense to watch, especially with Hasselback finally putting things together in the NFL for the first time.
2: It's January 2004. Seahawks at Packers. This is Remember That Game, the podcast about sporting events that take you on a journey and maybe chart the path of the zeitgeist. I'm your host, Thomas Emmerich, and my guest, returning to the program, is the deputy editor of SB Nation's Field Goals, John Gilbert. It's been a five-year rebuild under Mike Holmgren, and you, John, have been through it all, along with Sean Springs, Walter Jones, Max Strong, and Chad Brown, though the IDP king, Chad Brown, is out today. How are you feeling this wildcard Sunday as the Seattle Seahawks are actually playing ball?
1: Uh, You know, I'm just, I'm happy they're in the postseason. It's been a long time. You know, I went through the entirety of the 90s. We made the playoffs in Holmgren's first year um, after a whole lot of, you know, ugly seasons in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, and then, you know, under Dennis Erickson, under Tom Flores, you know, so just to be in the playoffs, I was extremely happy. I I was very nervous for a number of reasons. Um, and I know we'll touch on at least a couple of those, but it was, you know, just it was only the second time in my life and the first time in my adult life that I got to second time, excuse me, in my adult life that I got to see the Seahawks in the in the playoffs. And I was hoping for a win. We didn't quite get what I was hoping for, but I was was definitely, definitely excited that we were on the right track.
2: Yeah, that first playoff appearance back in 99 and Rick Meyer and company falling to uh, Dan Marino and the Dolphins. Now, fast forward, we're in the fifth year of the Holmgren era, second playoff berth. Uh, What was the vibe of uh, this rebuild going into the 03 season for you? And how did this campaign impact that?
1: The 03 season was kind of the season where it was like, okay, things are really coming together because the they had the 99 season. They made the playoffs there in Holmgren's first year. But it was it was a, definitely a weird feeling. It definitely it felt like a okay, we kind of backed into the playoffs because they started off real strong. I think off the top of my head, I want to say it was 7-2, and, and then finished the season at 9-7 or 10-6, whatever it was, made the wild card. But it was it was not one of those confidence inspiring things and then you miss the playoffs the next three years it was like okay well you know we could miss the playoffs under Dennis Erickson we could miss the playoffs under Tom Flores like did we are we doing the right thing here with Holmgren so once they took away the personnel issues from him once they you know said you know just focus on coaching um you know and you could really tell a difference where he was that the team seemed a lot more focused a lot more in tune um and things went I mean i definitely liked what i was seeing during the 2003 season a lot more than i had seen in the seasons before not that i was anywhere near understood nearly as much about the game you know then as i do now but it's uh 2003 was a season where it's finally okay you know maybe this hassleback kid can do it maybe you know these youngsters that they've brought in to you know can can actually put things together and we can go somewhere let's let's, let's this is starting to look good
2: yeah, and did it feel like uh, Holmgren, as you mentioned, uh, buying the groceries and all that, doesn't have to worry about those things? Do you feel like he's really cooking this season? They were first on a third down conversion percentage, first in opening drive touchdowns. Now he's going into Lambeau, where he used to coach. Um, you know, What kind of motions are going on there? What, what kind of confidence did you have in that offense with Holmgren?
1: It certainly, it was certainly a change because after so many years of struggling or whether it was Kitna, whether it was Dilfer, whether it was Hasselbeck, you know, the, the offense was clicking, like you said, and especially it got to the point where it was, you know, third and one, third and two, second and one, second and two, it was an automatic conversion. It felt like it was, you turn around, you hand the ball off to Sean Alexander and you let him run behind, um, Hutch and Jones on the left side of the line. And, you know, you've got two hall of fame offensive linemen there, you know, the You just run with it. You don't. You don't fight it. Play your strength, and they really were doing that. Combining that with Hasselbeck really starting to develop. Add that to a couple of offensive weapons. You know, finally coming together and showing what they could do. Uh, It really, it really did feel like, oh, this is. These are the pieces of the puzzle really coming together, and this, you know, this team could make some noise in the postseason. Let's see what we can do.
2: Hasselbeck. He and Dilfer had been platooning for years. Um, which at times included the crowd chanting Dilfer while Hasselbeck was on the field. Now, Hasselbeck has a full-time job under Holmgren and Dilfer's mentorship. But to start the game, they really played up this. He's Brett Favre's former backup angle. And he's because Holmgren drafted Hasselbeck in 98 with the Packers on the recommendation of Andy Reid, The announcing crew of uh, Joe Buck, Troy Aikman, and Chris Collinsworth, they really set the table with all the interconnectivity between these teams. But um, Joe Buck, I felt like, uh, I mean, he set the stage in an entertaining way for broadcast, but I felt like he kind of made made, uh, Hasselbeck seem a little little brother here. When Seahawks come out for their opening offensive drive after forcing the punt, they're there in Lambeau. Well, they used to call Mr. August around here because of how good he was during the preseason. Matt Hasselbeck, who is quoted as saying, being linked with Brett, Brett Favre, is one of the coolest things I have going for me. He is not ashamed at all with his love of Brett Favre. And so this coming into his first, Matt Hasselbeck's first throw as a quarterback in the playoffs, a sixth round draft pick. He starts off with two completions, two first downs to Corinne Robinson what were your nerves like for your quarterback?
1: I mean, I was obviously nervous because it's the postseason. You know, it's one and done, so you're 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 certainly worried. But he, you know, like you talked about earlier, first drive came out. They moved the ball. You know, they didn't put it into the end zone, but they did. Uh, you know, they did get a field goal, I believe, on the opening possession. And it was, you know, he Hasselback had a it's feeling. It, maybe it's just me remembering this, you know, but it felt like he would come out so overamped and so hyped up initially you know, early in game sometimes that he would, you know, overthrow receivers or, you know, the ball would be high, the ball be low. Um, so to see him come out and, you know, get a couple first downs, move the ball early, it definitely put things at ease. It was like, all right, let's do this. Let's get this, you know, let's beat these guys. I, I hated Green Bay. Um, I you know, always had a long steady, you know, distaste for Green Bay was not happy when we traded for one of their quarterbacks, um, obviously. But it's, you know, obviously he turned out to be, you know, up until that time, one of the best Seahawks quarterbacks in history has probably, you know, been displaced in that title if you want to consider that. But it's the way the game started, things felt good. And then they started to go sideways.
2: How how did that chip on the shoulder form? Was was some of that Home, grin. he he can't do it with Seattle as an organization. When he could do it with Green Bay as an organization, where where did that uh, that Green Bay beef uh, start?
1: It's, it was just one of those things where I grew up in the Midwest in Kansas City and or outside Kansas City. So when I you know when they were showing the early game kickoffs, it tended to either be the you know if the Chiefs were on in the early slot, I got to see I was watching the Chiefs, and if the Packers were on in the early slot. Then I was watching a lot of Packers games, and it was, you know, I just because they had won, you know, they'd been to the Super Bowl a couple times. far but taken to the Super Bowl. It was I just rooted against them. That was, you know, I didn't didn't want to root for them. And I wasn't real happy when the Seahawks hired Holmgren, but I was happy that they hired someone who was at least successful. And yeah. it was-
2: the guy who revived the Packers uh, then comes to revive the Seahawks, and then yeah, five years into his ten-year they have a competitive team in a wild card game against his former team. A lot of interconnectivity there. Uh Packers or Seahawks have defense coordinator Ray Rhodes, who was the Packers. Um, yeah, Holmgren trades for Matt Hasselbeck. The Packers fulcrum uh, of their offense that year was Amon Green, who they got from the Seahawks. Now, the first two drives seems like Holmgren has a beat on this uh, Packers defense, but they missed some opportunities. Hasselbeck hits Maurice Morris in the back of the end zone for what for a receiver would have been a routine touchdown. Maurice Morris kind of bobbles and steps out of bounds. Second drive a- after the first drive, Holmgren helped Matt Hasselbeck ease into the game with a, a throw. He, he gets Corinne Robinson on a drag against a line wrecker, Easy throw for Hasselbeck on the first play gets, he gets him warmed up. The second drive Hasselbeck hits, Corinne Robinson for what should have been a touchdown. Robinson drops it. Um, they end up kicking a field goal. It's a six-three Seahawks game. They'd eventually go into the half down 13-6. Um, how are you feeling going to the half with the way the offense is moving well, but missing opportunities and and uh, being a team that kind of drops more balls than you'd probably like?
1: No, they were certainly. I I can't remember if it was the case or not, but I believe they led the league in drop passes that season, and they that was an issue all year. They and it certainly felt okay. You know, we'd taken a good punch in the first half. Well, you know, let's. Do, but we're still in it. We're only down a score. Uh, we, you know, and the the Seahawks at that time they they had a horrific record um, in early starts. They always started slow. So I was you know, I had hoped to be ahead or tied heading into half, but to only be down a score is like, okay, you know, we've, we've withheld the first half. Now it's kind of, this is the second half is going to be our time. Let's see what we can do. Come out, take the lead. And, you know, I was, even though they were down, down by a touchdown, I was, I was pretty confident because they, the, the little things that they would do wrong in the first half of games that had an early start, it felt like they would do right. They would do better in the second half. And so I, you know, being down only a score, obviously they weren't getting the ball to start the second half. So that was a, uh, or no, they did. They did get the ball to start the second half. I apologize. Um, and so that felt, you know, it was like, all right, we can, you know, we're in this. We're in this. You know, this.
2: Yeah. And in the third quarter, huge swing of events here due to the receiving and run after the catchability of one Steve Hutchinson. Hasselbeck doesn't see the linebacker there, throws it right in the linebacker's chest, bounces off. Steve Hutchinson catches it and advances it to the one-inch line. Fourth down, they go for it. Uh, Hutchinson pulls, clears a, what could have been a walk-in. You know, He's untouched. Sean Alexander, touchdown, tie game. What was it like being... Almost this automatic on the goal line for the Seahawks rush offense with Sean Alexander, Steve Hutchinson. You got Walter Jones there uh, at center, Tobek guard, uh, Floyd Womack, and right tackle Chris Terry. What was that like? And is that the best Seahawks offensive line can remember uh, watching as a Seahawks fan?
1: Uh, it may not that specific season may not be the best offensive line. It may not be the exact iteration that was the best. Maybe it was Oh three, maybe it was Oh four, maybe it was Oh five. But those two, you know, Jones and Hutchinson on the left side. And then, I mean, it'd be a competent offensive line with me at center, you at right guard and somebody else at right tackle. I mean, you know, it's, fourth and one, you can, you can run behind those two. And, you know, it's like, it's not really, we used to joke. Um, I remember joking at the time that it wasn't, it's not first and 10, it's first and nine, because if we can get nine, it doesn't matter as long as we get nine before third down and it's fourth and one, it's automatic over the left side. Uh, you yeah. know, we used to joke that the Seahawks play on a 99 yard field because it, if we can get to the one, it's going to be Alexander over Jones and Hutch to, for the, the one. Um, and it, we, it was that good, you know, that's and it really that really helped the offense in terms of what they were able to do where that commanded extra guys in the box which opened up especially when you get corinne robinson in there you've got daryl jackson still uh making plays at receiver that really opened things up for you know a lot of fans uh, myself included we'd been excited for the potential for Atula Melee for years since he was drafted in the late 90s and you finally put together a couple of very good seasons. That was one of the peak seasons of his career uh, there in 2003. And you saw the potential that, you know, a lot of that was simply just the number of offensive weapons they had. It's not the, you know, they weren't the weapons that they had, you know, it wasn't a Galloway or it wasn't a, you know, a Tyler Lockett who were, you know, Pro Bowl potential or DK Metcalf or someone like that. But it was guys who they had enough competent weapons and a quarterback who could get them the ball to complement the the run game that they did have and the ability of Hutch and Jones to just dominate that left side to the point where defenses had to focus on that so that it opened up other areas of the field.
2: They got down to the goal line, Hutch and Jones made, made it so Alexander I mean, had the space he needed to get in there. Three touchdowns that day. Um, if DFS was around back then, Amon Green and uh, Sean Alexander probably get you there. Um, as you mentioned, uh, Atul Mealy actually had a, like 62 yards and, and six catches that day. For He probably is priced around 3K that day, I'd imagine, or in the 3000s. Um, no other tight end did too much. Um, that weekend slate, you got... Uh, the late Sunday game, Broncos Colts, uh, Peyton Manning going off for like five touchdowns, and then uh, Saturday you had an ugly one, Titans Ravens, Anthony Wright for the Ravens there, uh, and but if you pl- but they hung in that one, they had a, a pick six off of Ed Reed tip. So if you played Ravens defense, you got there. And then in the uh, Saturday late game, Dallas getting crushed by Carolina, and you would have needed to have. Steve Smith in your lineup there to uh, get across. But this uh, Seattle offense, no one went over 100 yards. They they, sp- they seem to spread out to production a lot. Um, was was it greater than some of its parts offense? And do you remember, uh, you know, outside of Sean Alexander who had a pretty good year. Do you remember grabbing any of them in fantasy back then?
1: Oh, I mean, I would stack my team with, you know, my depth uh, in fantasy was always Always, uh, you know, Seahawks, it's a, OK, if I need a if I need a wide receiver for a week or I need an emergency receiver, um, I mean, Bobby Ingram was always my guy, um, <laughs> you know, and then I, until he got, you know, until he blossomed to the point where uh, people were snagging him before I could snag him late in the draft. Um, but it's, you know, it really was one of those offenses where it the sum was greater than the individual parts because they had. And it wasn't, like I said, I mean, they, we all know the numbers Alexander put up, but a lot of that obviously had to do with Jones and Hutchinson, um, not to take anything away from Alexander. Alexander was very good in and of his own right, but the, but they had enough, enough guys on that team, you know, Ingram, Daryl Jackson, um, Cor- Corinne Robinson, you know, guys who could, who could get open or guys who could do do what they did specifically well enough that they could impact the game and it was you know whether it was bobby ingram on third down or corinne robinson uh you know on a slant or whatever it was they had the guys that they could go to situationally that they could make it happen and that allowed them that gave the offense that that greater than some of the parts ability over the course of the season where it was, you know, it was a very exciting offense to watch, especially with Hasselback finally putting things together in the NFL for the first time. And, um, you know, it's, for a Seahawks fan who had lived through the, you know, the Rick Meyer and the Dan McGuire and the everybody else, Stan Gelbaugh and Kelly Stouffer in the nineties, it was, fant- you know, it was fantastic to be able to sit down and say, okay, this Hasselback kid, you know, we've got a few more years of enjoying this and this is going to be fun.
2: Yeah, what was the Corinne Robinson experience like? First two catches uh, on the first – or two catches in the first two plays of the game, two first downs, uh, has a big catch and run on a, a broken play where he sees you know, explosiveness, Hasselbeck slips on, kind of a shoddy turf in Green Bay that day uh, at Lambeau. Uh, Single-degree wind chill, but yeah, he slips, falls, gets up. And hits Corinne Robinson, uh, kind of sitting there waiting for this great kind of play call from Holmgren where um, semi like a you know, bootleg off a handoff and then and then finds Robinson there. Robinson gets to use his speed, get to the edge, uh, pick up a big chunk. Leading Seahawks receiver that day, had over 1,200 yards the season before, but dropped off a little bit in 2003 down to around uh, below 900 yards. Top ten pick for the Seahawks in two thousand one, but famously picked ahead of you know folks like Reggie Wayne, Steve Smith. Both played that weekend, put up some big uh, numbers, as well as Chad Johnson, who uh, would soon be playing in the playoffs in the coming years. Uh, what, what, what was that Corinne Robinson experience like? Top receiver that day, but also had a couple of key drops.
1: That that's kind of it. I mean, I think you kind of hit the Corinne Robinson experience right on the head with that last part. It was you know leading receiver that day, but a couple key drops, and that's what when I think back to to Robinson, it's like I look back at his stats and it's like wow, you know I do remember that he had 1,200 yards in 2002. But the thing that sticks out in my mind, what I remember more than anything, is just you know, time and again, it feels like the ball, whether it's him on a curl, him on a slant you know, whatever it is, the ball hitting him right in the hands and just drop to the turf or bouncing off for an interception. And that's, you know, that was the core Robinson experience. That was, you know, the, it, it, it was boomer or bust uh, really in terms of, you know, he was going to get open. The question was, could he catch the ball? And that was, it felt like that was the, you know, the entirety of his career. That was, you know, the issue until he ran into off field issues. And then, then catching the ball became a secondary issue behind <laughs> everything else. So
2: Super Bowl, a squad you had No. Five. They they didn't have Corinne Robinson by then, but I think they had JoJo jo Vicious in place there. And then you know they also the offensive line, as you mentioned, upgraded a bit. I think they had Locklear right tackle in by then. And how does Daryl Jackson, you know, being part of that that team that did make it to the Super Bowl and was as a top receiver, um, how, how does he stack up against other? Uh, receivers on uh, Seahawks teams that, uh, you know, made a run in, in the next uh, decade?
1: You know, I, he was one of my favorite players. Um, D-Jack was awesome. I absolutely, you know, absolutely loved it. Was gutted when he left for, when they let him leave for San Francisco. Um, and then obviously he was out of the league in just a couple of years, but he put up two or 3,000 yard seasons for the Seahawks, you know, at times where they were not necessarily always the best team. Um, And he was actually injured for he was out, I want to say, for half of, if not more of the 2005 season where when they made the Super Bowl run, they went on the 10 game win streak in the middle of the season. And I want to say he was out for either most of or all of that entire winning streak. And, you know, it kind of showed that it was like, okay, you know, we've got so many, you know, so many guys who are weapons who are not necessarily the high-end weapons they're not the guys who are going to make the all-pro team they're not the guys who are going to go to the uh pro bowl but they're guys who can get the job done at a level well enough that they're gonna the team could win even without him and i you know i think that was a huge part in letting him go because it was just you know they they did absolutely didn't need him to win he was a great piece to have in the system um and i I, you know i think they obviously would have been better in 2007 2008 if they had kept him but you know, they went elsewhere, and it didn't work out, so.
2: Yeah, they, they really spread the the production that year. Hasselbeck threw for nearly 4,000 yards in 3 Jackson, the leading receiver, with under 1,200. No one else really sniffing a 1,000. Um, they spread between Krenn Robinson, uh, Bobby Ingram, Max Strong, uh, the fullback, and Sean alexander not not, not known as much a receiving back—they combined for about 500 receiving yards. As far as cornerbacks, you know, this is w- well before the Legion of Boom, but they—they they did a uh, the promising rookie, Ken Hamlin, that season. They had Sean Springs, a veteran from the the, the, the previous Seahawks front, the, the the pre-Holmgren Seahawks, and also had a young Marcus Trufant. They're not the the t- 2013 Seahawks defensive backs but um how do you think they stack up
1: it was certainly one of the better secondaries in my life um to that point they the defense struggled obviously significantly at times they were greatly improved certainly liked the up-and-coming youth of Trevon and Hamlin um Springs always felt like um, I was always kind of, I look back and it's like, yeah, he was a very good player, but I was always kind of disappointed just because as a third overall pick, I expected him to be first team all pro every year, uh, you know, because the expectations as a fan that are, you mm. know, it's, it's just what you expect. And it's like, c- come on, buddy. Like, what are you doing? Like you were picked third overall and you know, you're good, but you're not super phenomenal. All pro first team, unquestionable, you know, lockdown corner Revis Island, Sh- Richard Sherman style corner. Um, and, you know, they took you over Walter Jones and Jones is over here, you know, kicking your ass in terms of production. You know, what are you doing? Like, you know, they traded up for both of you. Let's go. Um, but I mean, you know, you look back on it now and it's like, OK, he was fantastic for a third round pick. I mean, for a, the third overall pick, he was still very good. Um, he just, you know, it was the, the expectations of myself as a fan at that time, uh, you know, were that OK, you know, you, you you're a third, the third overall pick, you're going to the pro bowl every single year. And that, you know, obviously is not the case. It was just my expectations were out of line, but, but Springs was a phenomenal player. Trufant, obviously um, played for a long time. Hamlin, unfortunately, you know, the whole situation there in 2005 with the, the, you know, off field incident that led to, you know, eventually the, I would assume the end eventually the end end of his career, but it was, you know, the defense was certainly exciting for the first time in a long time for a Seahawks team that had basically won the ball by by moving it, um, you know, at least during my lifetime.
2: Yeah, a ton of changes since the 98 pre-Holmgren squad, going from Warren Moon and John Kitna to Matt Hasselbeck and Trent Dilfer and Changes all over the place. Uh, you know, R- Ricky Waters uh, to Sean Alexander. And then the defense, very young by 0-3, built from the ground up by Holmgren. Uh, safe for Sean Springs there. He ends up making some plays, including uh, they really wanted to go to Amon Green on the wheel. Uh, this Packers offense really built around Amon Green, had over 2,200 yards and 20 touchdowns that season. But there was a play where, a key play where Sean Springs stayed home and used his speed to catch up contest that pass Packers eventually rally back from 20 down 2013 hold the ball for nearly the entire fourth quarter tie it up and then yeah then take the lead 27 20 Hasselbeck has two minutes and change how are you feeling in that moment as the game seems to be drifting away from uh, this young team
1: no absolutely I mean it felt like he was in control I mean the third quarter went basically it was kind of a tale of two two quarters in the second half. You know, the third quarter was all Seahawks. The fourth quarter was all Packers. And so you get the ball back with a couple minutes to go, you know, down seven is like, all right, you know, at least let's, Let's go. Um, You know, Hasselbeck has has shown that he can deliver in this situation. We've got the weapons to move the ball. You know, let's do this. And they got it done. They moved it down the field. I remember being extremely disappointed that they didn't go for two in the win on the road. Um, You know, but obviously, I mean, you know, coaches are going to do what they're going to do. And so, um, you know, they go to overtime and get the ball first. Don't score punt it away, hold them, get the ball back, and was start moving the ball. It's like, all right, I like where this is going. I think we got this. We got this.
2: So, yeah, so you wanted a yeah, two-point conversion, give it to Marshawn, or give it to Sean uh, behind uh, uh, Walter Jones and Steve Hutchinson, take your chances there.
1: Uh. Yeah, I mean, even that or, I mean, everybody's going to be looking for that. So, you know, run some play action off of that. You know, give it to... You know, one of your offensive weapons toss it to Bobby Ingram somewhere in the end zone. He's got you know hands of glue, uh, but it was you know that I definitely wanted. I did not want to go into overtime in Green Bay on the road in the postseason after having squandered a fourth quarter lead and needing a two point conversion and, you know needing a comeback. Obviously, there was. There was still significant time. There was a minute left or whatever it was. And so you're like, okay, you know, the Packers are going to get the ball back. All they need is a field goal, um, you know, to win. So, but I, I still would have preferred to, to go for two. So.
2: Yeah, Packers playoff games down to the wire. The Trello Owens catch a few years earlier. Uh, even even Gilbert Brown was activated today, who's around for um, a lot of their, their runs in the 90s uh, on the Packers Kansas side. alum. Yep, there you go. And uh, Brett Favre, even though he's kind of sort of coaching up him and Mike Sherman, this new class of Packers receivers, Donald Driver, Javon Walker, Bubba Franks at tight end, I mean they're they're seven and a half point favorites and have more playoff experience overall than the Seahawks. Packers uh get the ball back game tied. They don't quite uh get close enough or deep enough into field goal range for a single degree wind chill kind of day, shoddy turf, field goal short from Longwell from forty-seven yards. And so okay, now we're on the road. Young team in OT in the playoffs. Matt Hasselbeck there for the coin toss. He knows all the guys on both teams. are standing up there, keeping things loose. After after the game, he said, "I know all the, I knew all those guys, so I was just kind of having fun." Uh, but he says, "Yeah, we'll take the ball and we're going to score on the hot mic there. We'll, we'll get to the result later in overtime." And do you think a storm that ensued as uh in the in the era of Twitter and you know and social media? Do you think the reception? to that would have been any different?
1: Oh, I mean, he would be memed into, you know, eternity if that had happened today. You know, it would be, um, you know, we want the ball and we're going to score would be, you know, one of those reactions on Twitter or, it, you know, wherever that you're just going to, you're going to post a picture of Matt hasselback that's saying that, that says, you know, that's just, you don't have to post a response to a lot of things. You know, it would just be that like he, you know, he, the the media certainly covered it. They made us, like you said, a media storm out of it. It was all over. It was all over sports Center. You know, every sports show you could find, every local news show. Um, but that was just, I mean, it was a, a fraction of what it would be today in the online world between Facebook and Twitter and everything else. It was, I mean, you know, the, he got, Hasselbeck got roasted and rightfully so, uh, but they would, it would have been a thousand times worse if he did it today. Um, Just, and it was, it's something that, you know, it happened and yeah, we talk about it now and it's been 20 years and we're still talking about it, but it's something that if it had happened, then it would have been, The amount of people talking about it, the amount of attention paid to it, would have been significantly greater than than what was even you know what was at the time. Because at the back then, I mean, it was unless you were watching Sports Center, unless you were tuning into the sports section on the news, they weren't talking about that. Whereas today, social media, you get that feed. You know, Twitter would be something where my sister would be asking about it, and then she'd be you you know who hasn't watched a football game in her life where i wasn't sitting on the couch next to her um you know would be sitting there saying you know she'd be and hassle back because she would know what it means because everybody would be roasting him so
2: the way i saw it is like the, the reward is i keep things loose with my team the risk is i uh further motivate the other team that was like my kind of thought about it but what, what was your thought in the moment
1: I, and my thought was like, oh, man, I really, really hope we get to, we score on this, because if we don't, that's, you know, certainly the last thing you want to you want to have said or have done. And then, you know, for the for the possession, the overtime possession to start the way it did, where it was just three and out, it was just like, oh, man, this is not we got the ball and we did not score. We did the exact, you know, almost the exact opposite of it, three and out and we're done. So, yeah. Um, but it's, you know, it it is what it is at this point, looking back, we can laugh on it, but it's, it was certainly not, uh, I wasn't, I wasn't super excited about it when he said it. So
2: that ends up being a punctuation on the game when kind of putting the team on his back there, the running game didn't get going. Um, and when you factor in all the drops, they had a really good playoff debut on the road from Hasselbeck and the, the probably the most the most shown clip from this game is the one Seahawks at driving to midfield not too far from field goal range potentially one throw away from field goal range but they got 3rd and 10 after another drop and so Collinsworth lo- looking like pressure Hasselbeck's going to audible Joe Buck a- as the ball snapped they're coming picked off that's Packers 33 27 moving on uh what was your immediate reaction and did your feelings evolve in any ways you had time to process
1: oh it was just I mean it was one of those plays where you you saw him drop back you saw Hasselbeck drop back you saw him deliver the pass and then you saw it was just one of those where you looked at it you said oh that's got a chance to be picked and then you you know you saw the cornerback jump the route you saw Al Harris just going down the sideline and I just you know you went from 3rd and 11 like all right you know like you said you, okay we're we're 20 25 yards away from a long field goal range we probably need 30 because of the weather and the conditions and everything but it so it's it's still only a couple first downs all right let's just do this to you know we've got a chance we're in this we're going to sneak one out on the road all we need is a field goal sudden death and we win and then just the absolute opposite wind out of the sails wham game over you know throw stuff at the tv collapse on the couch like just oh my goodness what just happened like this is uh this was not what was supposed to happen that was not what was you know what are you doing um but it was it was just an absolute gut punch of an ending where it was you had the hope you know it was kind of a almost a a lightweight preview of of eleven years later, if you will. Um.
2: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at least you build so. up a little uh, a little, little, little resistance to the to the pain.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> the Packers go into number one seed Philly the next week, um, nearly knock off Andy Reid, the one who uh, put Haslebeck on Holmgren's radar. Fourth and twenty six, Eagles completed a pass. That Packers team, you, you know, had some opportunities, missed some opportunities to probably beat that team on the road. Um, and then Eagles play Panthers in the NFC Championship game. I don't know. Did you feel like you had a shot that, that season to go deep when you're watching the following weeks?
1: It certainly felt like it, it was one of those where it was, OK, you know, they, it was the first team where it was like, all right, our offense can stick with basically anybody. Um, you know, they're not the highest scoring team in the league, but when they get hot, they can they can compete and they can, it felt like they could score at will, um, you know, when everything came together, when everybody was focused, when, when they weren't dealing with drops and when the, you know, the running game was working, Uh, but it, and the defense still had struggles, you know, and it was, but it was still, it was a team where it was, it felt like, I mean, in the right situation, they could compete with anybody. And I think it was that season, actually, they, they were 10 and 0, a perfect 10 and 0 during the season when they played either late in the afternoon or in prime time. And they were 0 and 7 in every single game that started at 10 a.m. Pacific time. And it was just, you know, whether it was the way they were approaching travel or whether it was just the way they were approaching the game, I don't know. Uh, But it was just, that was one of those things where it was, you know, there's a reason that gamblers bet against teams that, you know, West Coast teams that played in 10 a.m. starts back then. Um, and I don't know what's changed between now and then, whether it's nutrition, whether it's travel, whatever. But that it, that team was the epitome of, you know, fantastic at home in their own situation. In there, you're playing at one o'clock Pacific, unbeatable. Playing at one o'clock Eastern, can't can't do a thing. Um, you know, something always comes up just a little bit short. And it was one of those one of those teams where it was like one of those things where it was certainly like, you know. If, we could have just played this game late, you know, snuck out a win, played another game, played late in the divisional round. Yeah, you know, it was just it, it certainly felt like a team that they could compete with anyone. They may not necessarily beat anyone, obviously. Um, but it felt like the first Seahawks team that had the pieces that, you know, when everything clicked, they could they could stick with anybody in the league.
2: This has been another episode of Remember That Game. Please rate, review, subscribe, and check out more episodes.
0: This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines.